Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from today's sponsor. Gather round, adventurers. Tales from the Firelit Gathering is an expansion that explores new horizons for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. With all new weapon options that take inspiration from all over the world, unique player races with unconventional abilities and perspectives, character creation tools that help you determine every detail of your adventurer, and even a variety of subclasses that let you play in unexpected ways, Tales from the Firelit Gathering is here to reignite your table. Back the project on Kickstarter today. Welcome, everybody, to our show this evening. Man, Yoli Winika, it is awesome to be back. We have been out of the studio for a while now after taking some time off for paternity leave here. and uh, But it is really awesome to be back in front of the microphone and talking the awesome side of our community after having to record a couple of episodes about the not-so-awesome side. How are things down in the fine state of Connecticut? They're going really well. We didn't suffer the snow you suffered up north. Uh, I think I had about two hours. It looked pretty. It actually got enough on my car windshield where I got to do the wiper blades a couple times and drive away. No shoveling. A little slick on the stairs and I was ready to rock. And (laughs) that's pretty awesome for me. Uh, Other than that, it's been gangbusters on game stuff, book stuff, excited for the new Patreon game that's coming up. I'm just really excited to be jumping into a brand new system with our Patreons. I love Star Trek, and I'm going to run a Star Trek game for all for our patrons. And the fact that folks are so excited and jazzed for Star Trek is just awesome for me. Um, Right before broadcast, we were talking about my mother, and I'll just toss this quick story out. I became a fan of Star Trek because of my mother. I've mentioned it on the show before. When she was going to college at Cornell University, she used to take me as an an infant to the student union Saturday nights to watch reruns of Star Trek. Those are some of my earliest memories. And the fact that I – here we are 50-some-odd years later getting to – or close to 50, 45, 7-some-odd years from when I was watching (laughs) it and remembering it. Later, the fact that I get to play this game and bring this to other people is amazing to me. And I'm excited. Nervous in a little bit. Excited. I think it's going to be fantastic. We're, I'm really looking forward to throwing some dice into the new Modifius 20 system. I think that's going to be fantastic. And uh, kind of before we get started with the interview proper here tonight, uh, just a shout out to co-host Glenn, the road warrior himself, who apparently is in the world without internet tonight. And uh, Mr. Myers, uh, we're saying hello from this side of the microphone and I uh, hope to see you back again soon. Let us go ahead and bring in tonight's guest. And man, this is an interview that feels, again, like it has been like months in the making because we, Aaron Roberts and I started talking way back when Journey Through the Radiant Citadel came out several months ago. I think uh, probably, man, you know, Dragonlance may have edged it out, but that was probably my second favorite book from Wizards of the Coast last year. I'm very happy to go ahead and have Aaron Roberts from the writing team on Journey Through the Radiant Citadel and a bunch of other things in studio tonight. Aaron, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I was super psyched to hear about the Star Trek game because I'm a big Star Trek fan. So I was dancing in my chair (laughs) at the excitement. I actually once did an actual play where I got to be the captain and lead a crew on a Star Trek Adventures. So that was really fun. That's the dream. It was really fun. Yeah. 
anyway, I know it's going to be a blast and I may have to become a Patreon now. You can uh, always go ahead and absolutely. do that at www.patreon.com slash TT Journeys. I mean, that's you go right ahead. I would be willing to bet also that if you didn't want to become a Patreon, but just wanted to like join us for a one shot, I suspect knowing the storyteller involved here, I bet you that we could make that happen for you, Aaron. So that's uh, he, he's pretty problem. accommodating. <laughs> Yay! Why not both? But before we kind of start peppering you with uh, with wonderfully softball questions here, why don't you give our listeners an introduction to who you are and, and the stuff that you've been doing in the tabletop role-playing game space? Sure. I don't remember who I am from moment to moment, but here's <laughs> what I know tonight. My name is Erin. I use she, her pronouns. I am a writer and I came to tabletop from being a prose writer. So I've written and published short fiction, science fiction, fantasy, dark fantasy, horror, and I was sitting around writing things and just doing game stuff on my own and got the opportunity to bring some of that storytelling stuff that I like to do over to the tabletop world. I'd done some interactive fiction, so I'd shown that I knew how to tell stories and think about how people move through story. And so I came on the scene maybe two, two and a half years ago, I think. I've been putting things out in the world, and in that time, I was part of Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. I worked on Dragonlands. I've worked on several Lost Omen books from Paizo, some Starfinder stuff, a bunch of additional projects that I'm working on now that are so exciting. I'm doing some stuff with Foundry as a writer on a new project that they're doing. And I'm just like hither and yon, bouncing around, doing a bunch of stuff. I also nice. would be like, this isn't quite tabletop. I would be sad about myself if I didn't say that if for some reason you're like, that woman's voice. Oh, I just want to hear it all the time. I'm also one of the core hosts of Writing Excuses, which is a writing podcast that airs every Sunday night. Me and a bunch of other authors in the sort of prose writing space. So if you're a writer or interested in writing generally, we have really great fun and conversations over there. Excellent. We're definitely going to have to go check it out. When I saw that, that you were on that podcast, I started following their account on Twitter. So I'll be watching, keeping an eye on, on stuff over there. That sounds like a ton of fun. So, a absolutely. You know, all of us kind of style ourselves as writers. So, that's. And I used to script comic books for local comic books, self published stuff. And I've been writing since I was a really young kid. And now that I'm in the freelance writing, space with my partners here at Tabletop Journeys, one of the things that I have always done is look to outside of my current media for inspiration and methodologies that I can bring to this media. I have several channels on YouTube where I'm just lo looking at screenwriting advice from Tarantino, storytelling advice from Martin king and so on and so forth because it's just like taking those nuggets that they do is very helpful in the adventure writing space because now i feel like i have more tools in the toolbox for writing a type of adventure and so yeah. anything i can do to get more tools in that toolbox i'm all about it yeah. and then, so you can definitely count on the fact that <laughs> i'll be listening in yeah nice yeah and we're all about like inspiration from how to bring inspiration from whatever source or whatever media you're listening to bringing it to the table. Don't don't feel like don't feel like you don't have the TTRPG cred to go ahead and hang out or anything like that. We're happy to have you. So let's without any further ado, Mr. Miller, how about uh, we roll initiative here and see uh, gets to start tonight? I have my luminescent D20 ready to roll. Ooh, like it. I got an 11. What do you got? 14. I'm hitting All first, right. I think. All right, man. You have at it. All right. So I had a number of questions that I wanted that I was toying around with. What would be my first question? But I'm going to go back to kind of the start. And I noticed that one of your character names or involved the Anasi and, or Ananasi. And I've heard it pronounced multiple ways. I'm interested in your method of pronouncing it, pronouncing it. But it called me back to my some of my youngest mem memories. We spoke about my mom recently. What I didn't mention in that bit is my father is from Zambia. And I'm a first generation American. And when I was little, a lot of my childhood books were Anasi stories. And I don't talk about that a lot on the show because Josh is terrified of spiders. Which is exceptionally humorous. Hey, I back uh, Tapestry of Lives. Come on now, wait a minute. I, 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 I back Tapestry. Fair it's interesting that the Anasi is not, in general, is not listed as being necessarily good or bad. It's just 
morality plays and things like that. And I think that's really cool. But I love the fact that at looking through your body of work that you're utilizing a lot of names, a lot of cultural touchstones, cultural references. And I was wondering if you could talk about where that inspiration comes from, when you started putting it into your work. Did you always put it in your work? Or is that something that you have grown into or become more comfortable with over time? It's something that I often talk to my students and for, <laughs> I'll probably reference my lovely students a few times. So I teach creative writing at the University of Texas at Austin, here in Austin. And one of the things I often tell people is we often forget that everyone has culture. Right. So a lot of times we think of culture as something that other people have, like culture is something of the other. But we all have like culture, the cultures that come from our identities that we're born with, the cultures of lived experience. I grew up in New York, so I've got a bit of New York culture to me. Now I'm in Texas, so I got a little bit of that maybe that I'm taking in. And so I think that we all put a bit of our own cultural realities and our own sort of social norms and the things that we are used to on the page. So I think there's no way to avoid it, whether you're trying to or not. One of the things though, that can be an interesting challenge is when you belong to multiple cultures. So I'm black, that's part of my culture. I'm also American. I'm also a Northeastern person from the Northeastern US, a city girl. What parts of your culture are you really digging into at any one point? And what can happen sometimes is you might feel like, oh, this cultural part of me, people are really going to resonate with. People are going to feel like, oh, this part about being a New Yorker, like when I'm writing about a city, for example, people will resonate with. But maybe this part that's more a part of my Black culture, people might not resonate with as much. And if I were a younger person, I would care. But I don't because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old, too, so I have no Fs left to give and because I started writing later than others may have, like just in general, even prose writing. Like I was, I had come through life. My brain was fully formed at the time that I started doing it. I just like, F it. I am who I am. And you're getting it. You're getting all of it. You're not necessarily getting all of it at the same time because it's like when someone's telling you a story, little things that they say, you might be like, oh, that makes me think of this other thing makes me think of that. I think that's how culture is as well. Like when you're writing a story, you might think, oh, I'm writing something about a city. Oh, this is, I'm going to draw on all this city stuff. Or you might be like, oh, I'm thinking about childhood. What are the childhood stories that, that I was told and how can I put those on the page? So it's really just for me about being myself and then figuring out what is it in the stories I've seen that I've experienced that are who I am that I just want to get in there. I don't know if they answer your question, but it did that. That's a lot of kind of very similar to my journey through writing. Josh has known me for many years and through my writing years as well. And as I've gotten older, because the amount of F's that were in that bag of F's that you had as a child, <laughs> they were doled out and there are very few left, if any, <laughs> but at this point, it's like when I write about some of those things, it's like, this is what I this is what I'm feeling in this moment. This is what this story needs. And that's what I'm going to do. And a lot of my work has gone in a very political kind of intrigue kind of way, because yeah. that's that's where what I feel most days. So a lot of my stories move, move in those angles. Yeah. And what I try to do is just bring in other genres. So I really love that answer. It really speaks to my experience with writing and the types of things that I want to get to and keep getting to. Yeah. And yeah. I would say, sorry, I know the next question. No, go ahead. Have at it. No, the, like the, how about you? Like have the creature it. that like jumps in between. It's my turn to attack. I rolled a 12. <laughs> I also think that all writing is political and so uh, like in its own way. And so the other thing is to really realize like how many times the wells that we go to are not even our own wells, but just the ones that we're used to seeing. So, you know, there's a king. Why? Like, what? Does there need to be a king here? Is there a reason it couldn't be like a less centralized power structure in this random town that I'm creating? There are reasons for that as writers. It's great to have a centralized enemy because then you defeat them and you're like, problem solved. I'm sure that kingdom fixed itself. On to the next one. But I think some of what I've been doing also, which is a great thing about teaching, is thinking about the reasons I make the choices I make as a storyteller and as somebody who's setting up other people to tell stories and trying to widen the toolbox and the set of things that we can put in front of folks who are out here having fun with their tables and having a good old time. 
That's fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and try to bring it back a little bit to the tabletop role-playing game space, specifically for a first question here. Now, you mentioned them earlier. You've got writing credits with Paizo. You've got writing credits with Watsi. I was very happy to go ahead and see that you're working on the new Hunter the Reckoning stuff for the new World of Darkness. I am an old World of Darkness guy. One of the best games I ever played was a Hunter LARP. I love Hunter. It's one of my favorite systems. Very happy to go ahead and see that like talented, skilled writers are working on this. That makes my heart happy. So how did you get into role-playing game writing? What was your journey in Were you a role player to start? Did you play Dungeons and Dragons or other games and stuff like that? Or how did you get into it? I did, but that had literally nothing to do with me. Cool. Nice. (laughs) Moving into it. I was just doing it. I was doing my thing. Having a good old time. But actually, it is through prose writing. As I alluded to earlier, I was doing my thing. I was writing prose. I was writing interactive fiction. And I was interested in doing more game writing work because I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed seeing it. And I like mentioned that a lot because I'm chatty. So I probably told people, I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do this kind of thing. But whatevs. And then. (laughs) It turned out some people were listening to me. That was their mistake. And I I connected with Ajit George, who was the lead, Mm, one of the leads on Journeys to the Radiant Citadel, and was like, were you serious about that? And I was like... Yeah. And I threw him, like, I think he was probably introduced me to Paizo, some folks. I did some work there. I did work with him on Journeys to the Radiant Citadel. And then something I say, which is a a thing to just tell freelancers who are out there, getting the first job, okay, it's very random, but also it's the easiest job in some ways to get. That's an asshole thing to say. Sorry, I said I wouldn't curse. (laughs) But it's also true in the sense that a lot of it's just kind of luck or putting yourself out there. But it's the second job where if you're working for someone else in their IP that says, okay, I did a good job. Like the, I was good to work with. I delivered my things on time. They were things that the people wanted. And then I would say the third one is really the hardest, hardest. That's the second wasn't a fluke. Like I'm somebody that you can depend on. And so yeah. what's really been exciting for me is as I've been working on these projects, People who've worked with me on some projects have recommended me for other projects and for other ones, which makes me feel like, okay, I've really gotten a foothold in here beyond just happening to say the right thing to the right person at the right Mm -hmm. moment. I've been able to back it up with the work that I've done. So that's been the really exciting thing about probably the last year or so. Nice. I got two things I want to say about that. But the first one is that you mentioned interactive fiction, and I've got a question about some of your interactive fiction in a little bit here. I think you know where I'm going with this. We'll get there. It's all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> then thing two is that I think you'll be. It's nice to hear you say that also because that's something we had Hannah Rose and Sadie Lowry on last year, and and they were awesome. And but they very much said the same thing. Oh yeah, like it's easy to get one, but if you don't turn your stuff in on time, if you don't, you know, that like it, you will only get one. And so it's really nice to hear that reinforced that I don't know that's just a kind of thought that like yep that that's the way this industry works and trying to put the finishing touches on, on our third book actually now and so it's like I get you it's like it's hard work to go ahead and put these things together and to go ahead and, and be able to sit down especially we still have we've got our nine to fives and so it's when it's nine o'clock at night and I've had the baby for three hours and it's like I should really be going to bed because you know I'm gonna be getting up at two o'clock in the morning and so nope but I gotta go ahead and I gotta write feats and I got to write magic items. <laughs> so it's a challenge. It's a, it's tight. So I would yeah. not have thought it transitioning into tabletop journeys as a podcast and then yeah. tabletop journeys, LLC transitioning into a content creator space. I yeah. would not have thought that time management would have been as critical a skill yeah. as it has become. Yeah. That plus my need to get a little better organized and fix my internal secretary would be wonderful. But on the time management piece, it is yeah. so instrumental. Do I have the bandwidth or the energy right now to write good work right now? Yeah. If no, what part of this entire project can I do that doesn't require that much of my energy, <laughs> but I yeah. can still move forward on the projects? Yeah, yeah. There are days where I'm writing the prose and I'm working the kinks out of the story. And then there are days where I am spell checking a stat block because some things require a different brain space and an energy output than others yeah. that about myself has been helpful and yeah. it's nice to see that there's a path forward with yeah. all of that is if we keep yeah. doing all the good things i just learned tonight that you can spell check so that's i didn't even know that. <laughs> I may not have found the proper brain space for the spell check yet, just yet, but... That's so wise, though. I always call that morning work. I'm not a morning person. I'm a late night, like, I might be still up at 4 a.m. So, to me, morning work was always, like, when I would get to the office, it would be like, okay, what can I do that's check an email that doesn't require anything? 
And it's so funny, like one of the things that I'm always randomly telling people is we sometimes forget that we are the same person all the time. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes when people are like, what are your habits or how do you do these things with writing? I'm like, I use the same things that I use at work. I just use them differently. Like I'm not a different person. So if I find something that like motivates me to go running when I don't want to run, like I can use the same techniques to figure out to make me write when I don't want to write, like just a different version of that. So I'm always thinking, what are the, I feel like aging is just like you figuring out your own cheat codes. And then it's, oh, I got this cheat code. Now I'm going to apply it to this other part of my life. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I lost that running cheat code years ago. <laughs> I, I, I never had it. I, 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 did I, as well. I don't think I don't think that's coming back either. <laughs> I ran a marathon once, just like a bucket list item, and then I was like, oh, I actually hate running, but I did yeah. enjoy. I would definitely say go run the New York City Marathon if you can. It's really fun, and then yeah. walk I, after that. Short white and Irish from South Boston, and if, if I'm running, someone's chasing me. That's amen yeah. to that. To be fair. There needs to be three people chasing me because I will turn and fight one person chasing me. <laughs> I'm like, uh, my odds are good here. I'm 5'3". I'm over. I'm 270 some odd pounds. I'm good for a one-on-one. I, yeah, yeah, if there's yeah. three, y'all, I might keep trucking. But yeah. All right, Mr. Miller. Let's not re-roll initiative. Just go next. All right. Have, how's you, that? You won. Right. I'll let you keep it. <laughs> Yay! I guess my next question is, you talked about having done – Worked with Ajit George, whom I've chatted with on Twitter, a wonderful person to chat with. I, I think it would be amazing to work with him. But you mentioned that you also did work both at Paizo and at Wizards. And I was wondering if there was a difference from the writing perspective in working for one company or another company. As a freelancer, the goal is to work as often as possible and make it a regular gig for those of us who are not doing it full time yet. That's my question. Is there a big tonal difference between the two big players in the fantasy space? Or is it something where you're writing a story and it's just about who's buying that story? Trying to come for my paycheck. No, I, <laughs> you're like, tell me the secrets. Who don't you like? List their names in alphabetical order. Oh, Your no, cheat code I, is, yeah. No, I just want to know because one of the okay. things we've talked about is writing everybody. for all, is break, breaking, breaking our stories and doing things for different game systems. I'm really interested in how do you take story? Because story is story. Uh, yes. Game system is more the dressing on it. So I guess I'm trying to see, is there a certain type of story that, say, a Paizo likes better? Or is there so, is there there are there big differences that way? Or is it as simple as if you've got a great idea and somebody's asking you for that idea, they'll probably just take it <laughs> and, and go yeah, buy no. it and in, just go, I'll fix truth, that. In truth, uh, the way that it's worked in the places that I've worked for, in every place I think I've worked for the most part, they – come to you with some sort of outline or idea of what they're what they want done they'll be like we're working on this and this a book we want are there sections depending on which company and what's going on they might say what sections are you interested in they might say we want you are you interested in doing this section or not you can always say yes or no but a lot of times what happens is they're telling you basically here's the outline of things here's the word count of things that are happening and that's a big difference between if you're putting out your own work let's say and you're making your own book you have a lot more freedom on what you want to put out there but a lot of times they're saying okay here's the general outline of what we want and what you're going to do is actually go through and put that thing on the page. So while I do not ever really have control over like the broad scope of what I'm doing in the sense that like somebody might say, we're going to do a whole book about cats and which cat of cats do you want to write about? I could choose that, but it's unlikely that I could be like, no dogs. Like you have to go with the general framework that you're given. Within that, there's huge amount of latitude to be creative and do interesting things. And to answer, I think what your question is getting at, I often start with the storytelling beats first and then figure out, okay, given the story that I'm trying to tell or given the lore that I'm trying to deliver, if it's more of a lore thing than an adventure, then how do I put it within the system that makes sense? So I'll have like an outline of a broad sketch of what I'm doing. And then I go look at, okay, what are the mechanics of the system I'm working for? Because I freelance across systems. So if it's 5e, it's going to be this type of mechanic. Okay, now let me think about how those mechanics work within this broader framework. If it's Pathfinder, it might be 2e. It's a completely different kind of mechanic. But I will say that a lot of kind of 
systems have similar things in that the moment in there are beats in the story where it's like information is being delivered, action needs to be taken. Information is being delivered, action needs to be taken, consequences of that action happen. Yes, and, no, that kind of thing. And so a lot of times I'm thinking about, okay, here's the overall like adventure story that I want to tell. Here's like a set amount of information. How do you deliver information within that system? What are the interesting things that this system wants to know about? Then, okay, action. There are different types of action that you can take in one system versus another. So I try to break it down as much as I can. Some of this happens subconsciously. Some of it I do like on purpose, but it's really about at the end, like you said, story is story. So the first thing and the most important thing is to remember what the story is that I'm telling and never let the mechanics or the system overtake that story. Cool. Yeah, that, that makes sounds sense. like a good policy. So, before, without any further ado, welcome, Glenn. Nice to see you. Nice to see you tonight. Thanks, Josh. How are uh, you doing? <laughs> We're already halfway through initiative. So, why don't you? Aluminico is going at fourteen. I'm going at eleven. So, do you have your d twenty handy? No. Squeeze you in here. How many rounds have we gone through? Only one. We're halfway through round two. Halfway through round two, huh? Yeah. Yeah, but with only That's two people, nice. the questions go faster. No, no kidding. Because now, mind you, you both can be very verbose. It's I, true. I definitely pick up some <laughs> so, time yeah. as well. I think we, we have found some kinship with Aaron, too, because I think all three yeah. of us can talk can talk for a while, which is great. It's fantastic. It makes for fantastic radio and very few questions. It's amazing. <laughs> I appropriately rolled a nat one in D-Beyond, given my tardiness. That's all right. That means you get to go last. All right. So he's, I will carry on He's under the and, slowed condition. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so. You have three levels of exhaustion. <laughs> funny story i actually play a turtle in marty's game and i have not rolled above a seven on initiative since i created that character i'm gonna go ahead and dive in here to the question that i alluded to earlier you, you danced around this topic a little bit earlier Aaron. i'm gonna go ahead and crack right into the question that i had about your interactive fiction i wanted to go ahead and talk about thanks for the memories what's kind of the connective tissue between writing something like that and writing like a fully fledged role-playing adventure written in blood i think it's that like every type of storytelling that you do like activates different parts of your storytelling brain which i guess is a thing that i have now (laughs) and what was for me it was a big bridge between writing prose and writing tabletop like that other people would consume because you have to think really structurally when you write interactive fiction it is choose your own adventure but for those who are for the everyone but one person who is familiar, <laughs> not familiar with Thanks for the Memories, my very small in, interactive fiction piece, what happens in that particular piece is that you are a character, a person who wakes up with no memories of who you are and what's going on. And you can buy the memories back from like a Siri type, like basically interface. And as you buy one memory, it reminds you of another memory, it reminds you of another memory. And as this is going on, you're trying to figure out basically who you can trust because you're about to get evicted. So that's the kind of overarching like play. But when you're writing interactive fiction, you're really thinking about, okay, this discrete piece. So like this memory does this and accessing it gives you access to something else. And there's a lot of kind of randomization for one thing, like that's built into that game. There's a little bit of like dice rolling that's happening behind the scenes that the player doesn't necessarily see. But also it's just about the way that you break down narrative because you seed control. Like I've been, people often ask me, what's the difference between writing a story and writing for a game? And the difference is control changes. In a story that you've written that is a pro story, you control everything other than whether or not they burn it instead of reading it or write you mean notes afterwards. But everything about the storytelling experience itself, you're trying to control down to like how the pacing of the way people read it happens. That's why prose writers love M dashes so much. It's because you're trying to control when people breathe as they're reading. And in a game, you don't get to do that. You get to present people with options and see which options they take. In interactive fiction, you're limiting those options. In tabletop, like you're just giving people like a broad skate landscape and hoping that they go for the options where you put the most work in. You're like, (laughs) please go behind this door with 20 things behind it and not this door, which is literally just like a line on a wall. There's nothing. (laughs) But I think you learn a lot even in when I've seen people play interactive fiction that I've been involved in, you see what are the choices people want to make that you want them to make? Like, where are the times when you're in alignment with the player? And where are the times when they're trying to go one way and you're trying to go another? It's the same reason that I like to watch actual plays of things that I've written, because you get to see what are DMs doing? 
that like you didn't think of or that they thought about differently. And then you learn from that. And the next time you can try to be in better alignment with like where people are wishing that you'd put more content. So a lot of it's just like the way that you're thinking about story, your relationship to the person who's consuming it in the end. Yeah. I really liked what you said there about how like the difference between writing an adventure and writing a story is control. That's, I wrote that down. That's like really, that's a really great way to think about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. It was a great and succinct way to put it too. Uh, I I love that entire explanation. I was a big fan. When we were working on the adventure that we wrote for Splinterverse Media, that was one of the things that came up very frequently, which was you can't write that because that's a choice. We don't know which way they're going to go. You kind of have to leave that be open. Like we have to give them options or find ways to sweeten the option we would prefer them to take. While it wasn't phrased as succinctly as that, we were definitely living that life while we worked on our first big freelance project, which was an adventure as well. Definitely that place out in the reality that we that we experience as well so for sure love that do you want early access to every tabletop journeys episode how about exclusive content live broadcasts and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans or heck do you just want to support the show Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing this show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. just piggyback off of Josh's question a little bit. That's why I was asking if it was my question next, because I loved your answer and I love how succinct it was for the difference between writing prose, writing a story for story's sake versus writing for a game and the subtle difference for the other interactive fiction you've written, because I've never tried to do that style, but I have done the other two quite a lot. And like Lee Wendika said, it's definitely something that we've ran into. And I really do enjoy coming up with options and trying to think of what might the players do that I could give the DM a little bit of advice on for which direction they're going to go and trying to imagine myself in the player's shoes as I'm writing the story for how they're going to react and respond. But it can be a lot more complicated to me sometimes. But at the same time, writing the other fashion where you're writing, you have control of the full story where you have literally the reins of every character in it, not just NPCs and the plot and the pacing. And you're 100% responsible for making sure that everything in it flows nicely and is going to be engaging and capture your reader and bring them in. And I know what challenges I've faced in both different styles of writing. How does that work out for you? Which do you prefer or find more difficult in terms of a style of writing? And how do you address some of those challenges that come up in the two different styles, whether you're trying to control everything and make sure it's right versus give up control and hope they go in the direction that you want them to go? Yeah, I love them both. I love everybody, but I <laughs> but I do think that they're very different and they definitely do pose different challenges. One of the reasons I like doing both is because they again my storytelling brain continues to grow as like they they take different parts of it. One of the things, this is a very tiny example, but it's one that I always like to talk about because it's just fascinating to me, is when I first started writing tabletop, I would put in what I like to call is like flair, like something that you can do in short stories, especially to make the world feel bigger is to reference something. I like to think of it as flair. That's like, it's not important, but it's like an interesting, like side note. So it's last week at the liars cafe, like we met and now, and, and then you just go forward and you know what, maybe the reader wonders about the liars cafe, but honestly they move forward. Cause they have to, cause you control where they go. And so I would throw like little one-off things. I'd be like, oh, I'll just like reference this. And one of my editors was like, no, people are going to be like, Liar's Cafe, let's go there next week. You can't just add depth with no backing. Like you either need to put a little bit there so you can give a little bit of advice to the DM. Here's why people can't go there if they might want to. Here's how you might want to develop it if you want to develop this further. Like here was the idea that we had behind this or just leave it out altogether versus being able to drop in like, 
like side references that you never follow up on and not actually be called out on it because you manage to keep the reader in the direction that you want them to go. So like, I have to remember when I'm switching back and forth, not to make my prose writing flat by never including anything outside of the scope of what characters are doing to get from point A to point B. And on the other hand, I have to make sure that when I'm doing adventure writing, that I'm not dropping in things that are just like super fun, but I'll never tell anybody what's going on there. And so like, it's that kind of like balance back and forth that like when you're, for me, a lot of times in the editing process, I will say I'm a slower prose writer than I am a game writer because I'm very obsessed with voice and rhythm in a way that I'm not. I don't need to worry about the rhythm of my prose in the same way it needs to be clear. It's more about clarity. So like in, in game writing, it's clarity, it's conciseness a lot of the time because you have word count. In prose writing, you don't have, you can take as many words as you want and you can be more right. flowery. So it's really about, I think the two that really learn from each other, both have the same amount of world building in common. And I love world building, regular world, place world building, cultural world building. And I feel like I take a lot from one and bring it to the other. What are the ways that I can think about a culture in a way that's easily transmittable to another human? Like in adventure, I need to be able to say, here's what this culture is in a few short words. Whereas in a story, I right. might be able to just show it in action over a long time. It's that old like showing versus telling. Now that I think about right. it, a lot of times in prose, you're showing and telling sometimes, but in adventure writing, you're really telling the DM what to show, which is an interesting difference. It's like an interesting different way of having to convey story. Right, yeah, except for when you're actually writing that descriptive block that's designed to be read out loud, you're 100% right. One of the yes, ways I, I like to think of it. spend so much time on that because I'm like, oh no, this is where I have to go back and get in like e-write mode. Anyway, sorry. And make it in a short little paragraph so that it doesn't take up too much space, sound compelling, concise, and get everything across. Yeah. Yeah. Try, try that's to one make... of the things, the ways that I think of it is, and one of the reasons I think I took so well to game writing as I moved into it was that it's crossing prose writing with technical writing, not quite to the point of a scientific journal or a full-on instructional manual, but it's very similar in terms of you have to simplify concepts, you have to keep things concise and clear, you have to make it easy to follow. It, it's got a lot of similarities for the way that it works, but nice. I love it. Great answer. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I I would say that it's the challenge there is making three sentences feel like it's the opening paragraph to a grand novel, but it's not. It's still three sentences, but giving it that feel, that oomph where that challenge lies. I lean toward yeah. the longer side of that and depend on my partners to what's the essence Rain of Rain you back in? Yeah, rain <laughs> me back in. What's the essence? Let's, let's get this down. We'll distill this down right. to the best part. It's a fantastic or, thousand or words. Now cut out half of them. Yeah. Also, right. stylistically, there's no – you can't convey – you can't give emotion in box text, really, or you're not usually supposed to say you feel X and X away. It's just you right. see, you experience, this has happened. It's very like, in if you're thinking about POV, it's very objective. Here's what's going on in front of you versus here's how you feel about it because that takes the agency and the control back from the players because they don't, for all, they're like thrilled to see those puppies being kicked. You don't know. You can just tell them the puppies are being kicked and then it's up to their characters to decide. If, if they want to jump for joy or... Yeah, pro or con. Which is generally where I did. throw in an NPC because I just need to feel in every scene. So there's yeah. always something. Well, <laughs> but, and, and feeling is okay puppies. if it's five senses feeling. Cold air, dampness, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, emotions. Yeah, the player's got to decide that on their own. Yeah. All right, Mr. Miller. It's back to you, sir. So I had circled on my list of things that you did, Hunter, because I am from way back when did all the Vampire Masquerade things and was very interested in playing Hunter. But that's as I was getting out of the LARPing scene, moved, couldn't attend games. I think there was the very first Hunter game was starting 
right after I stopped LARPing and I, and I really wanted to be a part of that because I was very intrigued, a huge fan of supernatural, that type of thing. And like, just wanted to be a part of that setup. Can you tell us about your work within Hunter and what are some of the things you really love about that system? Sure. Sorry. I'm trying to remember. Oh no. Yeah. I was like, am I telling tales out of school? No, I think this is known. So I came into the Hunter project very late because I had to drop out part of their thing. And so I think I, I wrote a huge chunk of Hunter stuff like in two weeks in the middle of moving to Austin from DC. It is wild that it actually turned out halfway decently, but it was really fun because what I worked on were antagonists, like some of the, and like the things you might be hunting basically. And some of the organizations, one of the things in Hunter the Reckoning that I think is really cool is like organizations, they're all out to get you. And, but how, and really thinking about the different ways that you can, it was like, gave me an opportunity to nitpick at society and think, well, what are some things that like, I can exaggerate as a way of being like, they suck. It's a lot of my hunter writing was spiteful. I'll be completely honest. It was like things I don't like right now. So there's like an antagonist who's like on online dating a lot, bad online dater who's like also horrible in like ways beyond the ways that we would be thinking about. Who had a fantastic name I may add too. Like Johnny Sweets is such a great name, (laughs) right? It's such a great name for an antagonist. It reminds me of like Johnny Dangerously. Remember the movie Johnny Dangerously? It's like that same kind of, you don't need to know anything about that person other than their name. Oh yeah. Oh, he's, oh, he like, okay. That guy. He's that guy. Gone on a second date with Johnny Sweets. It's not going to end well for you. I was mad about online dating. I was mad about HOAs. So one of the organizations that I wrote, (laughs) The Order of the Rose, is all about controlling people. And it's like a religious group, but really also cares about the length of your grass. And it was (laughs) an interesting way of thinking about the similarity between religious control and like suburban control over others. I had feelings and I put them on the page. That is an interesting parallel. It is very similar, in my opinion. All things designed to control people are very similar. They really are. And like the ways in which people try to control neighborhoods and like the way that people try to change things. This is unrelated to anything, but I just love this phrase. So I'm putting it out in the air. The sound of gentrification is silent because people come and they try to silence the neighborhood that they came to and turn it into a suburban order of the rose type of feeling. I don't know if that made it in there, but... I just think it's a fun phrase and very true in my opinion. In my like, experience. Like, <laughs> right. I didn't like tech bros. So I wrote like, like a horrible tech bro organization that's not well run and therefore getting people killed by the supernatural revenge. I was just mad about a bunch of stuff and was like, how can I take? And I actually tell people a lot of times writing out of spite is super fun. Like if there's something you don't like in the world, exaggerating it and taking it and adding some element of magic or mysticism is really fun. One of my favorite things I ever wrote, which is not from Hunter, is Brewer's Regret, which is an item from for Pathfinder, which is bears a striking resemblance to Marmite, which is gross. And what Brewer's (laughs) Regret does is it basically makes you harder to kill because you don't want to die having eaten that as your last meal. And am I mad about the Marmite somebody made me eat 10 years ago? Apparently. So I think it's like really fun to think about the things in the world that you don't like, whether it's something as petty as that or something as big as the way that people seek to control others or the way that tech bros don't think through their inventions and their companies and harm others and then take that and then put it like in the middle of the page. You just filled my mind with something that I didn't even realize I did. In the campaign world that I'm running, I built an organization that was effectively a clandestine group within a separate religious organization. So there's this religious order, and then the secret group within it basically pursued their own power agenda. And that's the big bad in the campaign I'm running. And they have become all-powerful. They have spoken in the ear of the elites and the leaders of the kingdom. They got themselves into a position of power. They've got a bunch of laws turned their way. It's a feudal system, so they get to take over. All of those feudal lands are just taking over whole swaths of the country. And the whole whole bit and it in my head it's because i was very angry at the way certain entities not religious in nature specifically but certain entities that i used to be a member of have been taken over from within by these groups that have this wholly separate and different 
desire than I possess and have destroyed everything that I thought was great about that that original entity. And I literally, I didn't even realize I was doing that, but that is pretty much what I've been doing. I wrote the bad guys out of spite. They are, in fact, those same villains. Some people go out and vote for them. Fortunately, we didn't in 2020. I'll <laughs> leave it at that. This is not a political show, but essentially that is exactly what I've been doing for the last five, six years is just building up this organization. And the player characters are navigating, deciding where they're going and what they're doing, what they believe in and, and all that. But I literally have wrote a faction based on something that I see and perceive that and don't like. I didn't I even know that. I was doing that. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mind blown. Mind blown. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take it I'm gonna take it back again just a little bit here. <laughs> just it's all right, it's right. I wanted to go ahead and talk specifically about God's Breath, which is of course the world, the setting, and the world that you created, written in blood from Journey Through the Radiant Citadel. And I was wondering if you could give us some media that we could read, or we could watch, or that our listeners could read, and they could watch to understand what. God's breath is and what the nature of God's breath is. Like, where does the inspiration for that come from? And I'm sure it comes from like a million different places. Feel free to go as long as you want. <laughs> One of my first inspirations for this was actually a book that I don't, that I'm not expecting people to run out and read, but I've talked about this in other places, but my great uncle wrote a book, Growing Up Black in Rural Mississippi, which is about my actual family, the part of my family that's from rural Mississippi. And so the very first thing I did when I was pitching this was go back and read the book and actually just try to absorb that part of my own family's history and really think about what it was like being there and ask a lot of my relatives to tell stories about things that they remembered from Mississippi for no good reason. Just tell me different things and really just try to get the vibe. And I think that was the most important thing. Something someone asked me once was like, what happens when you're trying to like infuse a cultural feeling into a piece? And one way that I like to think about it is you really want to separate out to me, the essence of something and the expression of something. I'm a big believer in this. So there's the expression is like the way you have encountered it, the reality of it. But the essence underneath is usually something just much broader. So to me, the essence was community. All the stories, all the things that I was reading, all the things that my family members were telling me, which y'all can't experience because you, unless you are related to me and listening to this, in which case, hey, hey cuz. So, and welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Exactly. <laughs> but like, otherwise, is really, but I think that one of the things that is that sense of community, that sense of giving to people from what you have without expecting anything in return in a way that I think even mutual aid does not fully like capture. One of the things that I loved when I was talking to my mom about sort of being in Mississippi when she was growing up is the way that people would just do things. So like you might have somebody who was really good at reading things, like reading contracts, like the government sends you something about your land. You don't know what the heck it is. It's the Mississippi government. So it's probably real suspect. It's like unlikely yeah. that they're like, we just want to give you a prize. No, it's probably like, we're trying to seize your land if you don't respond tomorrow. And so no shade or all shade to the Mississippi government. So it's my great grandmother would read those things to people. People would bring her documents and she would be like, okay, you should sign this or this you shouldn't sign or here's what they're asking. And then people would just go and that was it. There was no, it wasn't like do this for me. But what would happen would be sometimes in, if somebody had an extra bushel of pears, they might just bring it by the house and leave it. If somebody saw that your fence was broken, like they might go repair the fence. If you went to get your hair done, it might be free. But it was never like a tit for tat thing. It was just, this is what this person has to offer. This is what that person has to offer. If everyone offers what they have, we can get through like some trying times together. And so that was what I really wanted to capture. And so there are a lot of really fun, like 
If you have a chance to read any like Gullah Geechee fiction, I love the writer Eden Royce. If you like to read short stories, if you watch things like Bayou, like those types of movies that are set in the South and have a black feel to them, basically, those are the kinds of things that I was thinking of. A little bit of the Jordan Peele because it's a creepy adventures and because yeah. I'm a creepy person and I often <laughs> put creepy things into my work because it is my way of kind of thinking about what are the monsters in the world for real is to put them in fiction in some way, give me a chance to look at them from all sides and shine some light on them. And yeah, really thinking about like, how can I create that essence of community? And then what's the threat going to be to that community? Because I think a lot of times traditional, sorry, I will stop rambling in a minute, but no, traditional, yeah. <laughs> traditional, a lot of times when people think of traditional fantasy storytelling, it's someone leaving their community, which like probably just got killed or all their relatives were killed or whatever, or the farm boy who leaves their community behind and goes on a journey to save it from afar. And what I was really interested in is what happens when you are in the community that you are trying to save and maintain. What are then the pressures? How do different people within the community have very different ideas? Like you were talking about, like with your campaign, like when different people within any fat, any organization or community have ideas about what is the way to move forward. And so I translated that into giving it an external threat of the land is dying. What happens when a really tight community is dealing with an existential crisis to its existence and different people have different ideas about what to do? Also, people's eyes are red. So there's all sorts of But like, underneath it all. And if I had the chance to write an entire whole campaign in God's Breath, it would be a lot about what happens as different groups and different gods even have their own ideas about what should happen to this community. And you are being forced to figure out how you want to, who you want to assist and like where you want to try to maybe tip the scales one way or the other as the player. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you started with that story about that book that your <laughs> uncle wrote. Cause I was like, I heard that in another place and I was like, Oh man, I need, I really wanted you to tell that story for our listeners. So I'm really glad that you started there. And man, what a fantastic answer. That's yeah. Brilliant. I, and you kept her from having to, to directly ask, Hey, could you tell that story about, <laughs> <you know? laughs> Which he wasn't afraid make... to use a question on it. But. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was able to control the narrative a little bit. I asked her a different question, but oh. send her where I wanted. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, again. Yes. <laughs> uh, first of all, I also want to shout out to all of my family that lives in Mississippi. I've got a lot of family in Jackson, Jackson State University. They're all down there, and especially my cousin Biggs. Yeah. Is that where um, Uncle Sikofule lives? That is exactly where Uncle Sikofule I thought so. Lives. I really liked Uncle Sikofule yeah, when he, I met him at he, your wedding. He's a riot. Just an amazing, wonderful human being. And I'm proud to be his nephew, and he tells the best jokes. He's terribly funny. I love that answer, because in addition to having family in Mississippi, I also, growing up even in upstate New York, a couple of my mom's close friends are were from down south. I think they're actually from Georgia, to be specific, but... Everything you just described as far as the community and the way the community works was very much like the way that family operated. My my godmother, Emma, she would do certain things for various people in that neighborhood. Her sister was a hairdresser, and she would definitely do the hair for some of the older ladies in there. And Big Daddy would go ahead and fix people's cars when it would come by. <laughs> and I don't think as a kid I ever remember money being transacted, but there was usually, hey, I got an extra pie that I made. You get, let me bring that over, and that's why I'm a, that's why I'm a fat kid because <laughs> there's always an extra pie kicking around that house somewhere. But when Big Mama makes a sweet potato pie, you sit down and you eat that pie. <laughs> that's just how it's done. Rarely is there ever a time in the course of anybody's life where they should say no if they're offered pie. I'm going to be honest. I love that. Exactly. But I love the fact that your writing includes those things and the way you talk about boiling down to the essence is just really – it's like I said, it's bringing it out in my mind like – on some level, these are things that I've been doing, but talking about it with you, it allows me to do it with more purpose. So as I write things tomorrow night. And the days that follow, I can do that with a little more purpose and be a little more driven about that as far as how I'm doing it. And that 
only can serve to make things better. So this, uh, your answer is a great answer for oh any of us in this, and who are listening, who are having the ability to, who are doing writing or just even D- DMing at your table. These are the kinds of things that make your game very unique. We talk all the time about individual styles of DMs, but what you're talking about, whether you're writing it down on paper for a product to sell or you're doing it at your table for a game, that's your individual style, bringing out your experiences in life. And uh, that's a great way to do that. That makes me so happy. The teacher in me is like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> <Gross>. so, me. <laughs> my connection to Mississippi is nowhere near as eloquently tied to your story as Lewanika's. I was born there, but I moved before I was two, so I don't know, bro. <laughs> Where were you born in Mississippi? Oxford. In Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, that is see? so funny. <laughs> we were actually talking about that. <laughs> and it comes full circle. That's Oxford, Mississippi nice. actually came up in the pre-show because we were talking about the casino in Oxford, Maine. So that's that's full circle, my friend. <laughs> there is yeah, no, no my uh, dad was there for college is why we were there when I was born. He was in the Navy, though, and then we were moved all around all over everywhere else. There are no accidents in this universe. There are no accidents. No, no. See, everything is connected in some fashion or another. In fact, I get to connect my question back to the last one again. I think you get the last question at that, Mr. Myers, too. Do I? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've really enjoyed listening to as you've talked about the and answered the various questions that we've given you is how you base so much of your writing and your inspirations on things around you in the real world, whether it's shining light or bringing a piece of a family story in. But when you're talking about things that you don't like and writing spitefully, it made me really think, I bet her villains are probably sometimes based that way as well. So the question I had, which made the question that I have for you even more perfect, because I've wanted to know this since I first read it, because I like creepy too. I'll take a monster or a creature that I'm inventing and I will deliberately add something else to it to make it just a little bit sketch. Like I was... (laughs) In our book, Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, I was working on some kind of a creature that would work as a universal translator, (laughs) but it couldn't just be easy. And so the Oblivion Mind Leech was born and it goes in through your ear and chills in there. God. Yeah. Can I just, I just but, want to stop you for one second, just because before yeah. you, because I need to share this like everywhere I can. When I moved to Texas, I literally day two was like chilling in my house, watching Star Trek rerun and freaking beetle went in my ear. No, I'm kidding. It went all up in my ear and got stuck in there. And I had to call 911 because and they had to come send some paramedics out to do a uh. beetle retrieval from my ear. And I will tell you, like, ever since then, when people are like, and then you just put that thing in your ear, I'm like, y'all don't know. Like, the expression, let me put a bug in your ear, there's a reason that's an expression. That is horrible. You can't focus on anything else. That thing was crawling on my eardrums. Not an experience. If you can avoid getting a beetle in your ear, I would recommend that. There's a place where me and a bunch of my friends used to camp. That's old Potato Field. And the first time that I camped there, I was warned that – be careful how you sleep. Make sure you sleep on a cot that's above the ground because there are still potato grubs in the dirt that will find you. And that's I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I was just the mind is like connecting my creepy monster to your creepy monster. <laughs> yes. Where in the name of all that is unholy did the concept of the soul shaker come from? Because it's a mobile blob of grasping hands and heart and hands and arms that just rolls around. It's it's terrifyingly frightful. So tell me where the soul shaker came from. I like creepy things. I actually think I have a pair of earrings that are just hands. So obviously, <laughs> there's something wrong with me. Not like real hands. Like, I did not kill anyone. They're bronze. <laughs> you can't prove anything. But I think it's a great interview. I'm, we got to go. <laughs> I'm going to give you like a real annoying highfalutin answer instead of a creepy from the ground answer, because I so just having a lot of hands is just that's fun. But what I thought was really important, two things. One, I think it's so important for everything in your adventure and setting to resonate. So like things What is good about a setting is also what is bad about it. So the Soul Shaker is a collection of hands. It is a community 
much like the fact community is the essence of the setting. And the worst thing about the setting is what happens when the worst aspects of the settings also decide that they want to have some mutual aid and get together for a common cause. And so I think it's really important to find something that has that kind of pings off of the things that you like about what you're doing and shows what you could not like about it. So that was one aspect of it. So I was like the idea of a collective being the monster was really cool and important to me for that reason. And I also wanted a Judas goat. Yeah, I also really wanted a Judas goat kind of effect. So the Judas goat or Judas cow, I think, is the the cow that they train to walk into the slaughterhouse in front of the other cows. And then it goes out of the back and it's fine. And all its cow friends become my steak. So that's how that goes. <laughs> and what I liked was the idea of someone being influenced into being like the equivalent of a Judas goat and like being someone who is basically luring people from their community. It's the monster's ability to warp the community, both in its essence and in the way that it works with others, reaching out to someone and pulling them in and then seeing who else they can pull in. So it has its own grasping hands, but then also the hands and the effect of the person that it is most controlling. It was all about trying to have all these sort of resonances together, plus like the more hands, the better. That's that fantastic. So amazing. That's so I, creepy. And I love the parallels there and that called it a high flutin answer, but I think that's the answer I was looking for. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. And the community, like the joint community aspect of it. That's mm. wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Cause again, cause it's kind of like, again, a community of creatures that are all hands. Like you talked about earlier with the whole sense of community about with your, with your great grandmother, how like sometimes her hair would be free or whatever like that. So there was like this give and take, but a creature that's made of all hands can only take, it doesn't mm-hmm. get. So it's. Yeah. And then what you I, run into the scenes where the players haven't run into this monster yet. And it's got the red handprints everywhere because that's how the creature walks around. That was yeah. fantastic, too. I just had to throw that <laughs> on the side note. Sorry, I had So much fun making the creepy rooms that people could run into. I think there were a few things where they were like, stop, it's too much. I think I had congealed blood in a pot at one point, and they're like, this is PG 13 game. You don't necessarily need to put a like rotting congealed blood in a pot in the kitchen. And I was like, oh, fun. No fun. Yes, you do. Um, <laughs> because that's, that's what in the kitchen. That's all about flavor. Exactly. I was like, you could actually make food out of that. They're also like, you could make a really delicious like pudding out of that. So I was like, good point. That's not creepy. That's right, yummy. Yeah. Um, so, but I love made of all hands. Like, that's fine. <laughs> exactly. Pot of blood. Whoa, that's a step too far. <laughs> exactly. But I was like. Mm, that's fine. But uh, yeah, it was really fun to do. And I love like <laughs> the handprints and you, I think you encounter a hand that's in like, there's a farm implement that's gone through it. That's yeah. great. And then if you like take it out. So I love the hints. Like it's always fun to kind of lead up to, that's what horror does really well, right? You don't jump right in. You right. figure out over time what it is, at least in this form of horror, that's creepier and creepier. And I really wanted to draw from like Southern Gothic horror and which is a lot about the body and the things that you think are under your control. There's something about them that is not completely under the control that's outside, that's like coming to take. And so some of that was like baked in there as well. There's a lot of great body horror and body horror type monsters that come from the Southern Gothic horror tradition. And so I was like, oh, this kind of goes in there with your haints and your jumbies and your other things that people know about from the real world. The part of the answer of your answer that stuck with me the most was the concept of the Judas cow, because we see those in reality far too frequently. I won't enumerate all of them or any of them at this point, but (laughs) I would say for any that are not familiar with that concept, think about your life. Think about the explanation that was just given. Think about what we see in the world playing out in the news and so on and see where you see those. Because after having lived through the last couple of years of pandemic, there's a whole lot of folks who were very willing to lead us down wrong paths rather than us make good choices as a community. Yeah. Yeah. 
So with that, <laughs> I think that we have reached the uh, the end of our new, which is too bad because Aaron, I feel like if, uh, if all of us had like infinite energy and a big old pot of coffee, we could probably carry this on for another couple of hours because this has been <laughs> just an absolute blast. First of all, thank you very much for coming on tonight. Really appreciate uh, you taking some time out of your schedule. Can you let our listeners know where they can find all the projects that you've been involved in and how to connect with you and watch what you're doing? Sure. One of the best ways to find me is on Twitter. It's still around, and so I'm still there. You can find me on Twitter at Narelle, and it's N-I-R-E-L-E. It is L Aaron backwards because I'm bad at Spanish. So just <laughs> N-I-R-E-L-E. And my website is writingwonder.com. As in sense of wonder, not I'm a wonder. Like, <laughs> writingwonder.com. I was like, wow, that sounds real arrogant. Like, three years ago. <laughs> and you can see my projects there and see what I'm up to yeah. next. Excellent. We will definitely be uh, be keeping an eye out on that. Uh, see uh, what's coming down the pike next. Uh, let's see here. Next week on the channel. Oh, next week on the channel, we have an awesome interview with Dredgen Rio Masa, who is doing work with using tabletop role-playing game strategies and like mental health counseling. Um, so we're going to be bringing him on here to go ahead and talk about the work that he's been doing. I'm really looking forward to that too, as we uh, continue our, our month of February here, where we're highlighting BOPOC voices in the community. Aaron Roberts, thank you so very much for coming on here. It's been wonderful having you on here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be keeping our, our eyes out. We're back full time now. Expect a new content every week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week. We're going to bring you the interview with Dredgen Riomasa. Thanks so much. Have a good night, all. Later. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys. Joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, we would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Await. <laughs>